Hear the word of the Lord. This is why we never get up, give up. Though our bodies are dying, our, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce us for a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. A happy Mother's Day. Way to go. Uh, that was not a very enthusiastic response to Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Listen, if you're here, you got a mom, all right? So you owe somebody, you know? You owe somebody. Um, we're, we're beyond grateful for these little ones who are dedicated. I didn't quite realize uh, how difficult being a mom is until my wife became a mom, and I just don't quite know how you guys do it. Uh, scripture reminds us that children are a gift from God, uh, so as a family, we, we rejoice that God's blessing us with these new kids. Uh, so in light of all this, we're, gonna, we're in a series on James right now, and we're going to pause just for one week. We don't usually do this, um, but I want to talk to our parents today because it's something that we haven't talked a lot about in the last couple of years, and there's also a bit of a, a revival happening with our kids. Uh, so, and here's what I mean. So today, we're dedicating 16 kids between our two services. That's a lot of little human beings. And at Sojourn Kids right now, you know, we're tickling right at 200 kids. That's like 11, 12 and under every Sunday. That's a whole mess of children. And I know it. I've got a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And so I recognize that face you guys walk in with, right? With the three and four-year-olds where you kind of feel like you're drowning perpetually and you're tired perpetually. And so all these kids are a huge blessing for us, and we're grateful to be a church with a lot of young folks, with a lot of kids being born. Uh, it's a huge gift to us, but it, it also brings about a huge responsibility for all of us, and it's something that we need to talk more about as we move into the future. So this passage we're going to look at, it's, it's one of the richest passages in our faith. It picks up some of the suffering themes that Travis preached about last week. Um, it, it clearly applies to all of us, so I think there's something in it for everybody. But this morning, I'm, I'm going to talk specifically to the parents and specifically to those of you with three and unders at home. Or I guess you can apply it to yourself if you've got a four too, all right? So I'm just saying like infants, toddlers, and under. So what we're going to do in this passage, two short verses, we're going to talk about three realities that apply to everybody, parent or not. And, and these are kind of like core biblical realities that by and large our culture has moved away from. Uh, and then we're, we're going to say, okay, so what are three corresponding principles for parenting, especially for that younger group that we have a couple hundred of here? So uh, before this text today starts, uh, a few verses back, Paul's talking about uh, the perseverance needed uh, for a life of faith. He reminds us that uh, we press on because God's grace is moving through us uh, to more and more people. And so he says, basically, hold on. Uh, and this brings us to verse 16. He says, hello. He says, this is why we never give up. What's happening? You in control, my in control. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight you, Gillis. You, me, you, me, me. But then you put it up. You say, it's me, then you put it up without me. I'm, we'll, we'll talk after. Uh, here's what Paul says. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. 
So the first biblical reality is mentioned almost in passing here, uh, and that is the reality that suffering is real. So he says here, though our bodies are dying. It's almost a parenthetical phrase. Where, any grammar nerds out there? Exactly, right? So no one cares. Or you just didn't want to out yourself. So that, that our bodies are dying, this is to show you guys I went to school. This is a, called a present progressive. Uh, and here's what it means. Uh, it's, it's happening right now and it's ongoing, as opposed to like you pay a toll and you paid a toll and it was done. It's like this is something that's happening right now and it's still happening. It's kind of unfolding. And it's, you could translate this as Paul saying, though our bodies are wearing out. Uh, if you're a teenager or in your like low to mid-20s, this probably doesn't quite resonate with you. If you've hit 30 or older, you know this is true, right? Like you're, we- you're wearing out. There's stuff that hurts now that didn't hurt before. Or you go and you play basketball and it's suddenly a much different experience than it was when you were 22. Uh, the-, the Bible makes it clear that life is hard and suffering is real. Uh, and it's so strange. Like in, in our culture, uh, this seems shocking to us. When something difficult happens, when things don't go your way, or I was talking to somebody recently, they graduated and they're like, they graduated college and like, I've applied for three jobs and it's just not working out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, three? Three jobs and you're done. Really? You get that first little bit of resistance and then they just, they just collapse. Uh, before this, the tolerance for pain and hardship in American life was so much greater. Uh, 50 years ago, let alone 100 years ago, when if, if you had 10 kids, probably three or four of them were going to die before they were two. You know, like death, pain, loss, like these were so intricately woven into the realities of being a human being. And now, th- thanks be to God, in a lot of ways, life's a lot better. Uh, life's a lot easier. Uh, but, but now we've become surprised when life gets hard. And the it's part of the reason why Paul mentions it just in passing here, because everyone, everyone knew this. It's like saying the water is wet. You know, everyone just knew how life hard was. Uh, each one of us is like a little wind-up toy that only has so many spins in it, right? Or a music box. You, you wind it up, and it, as soon as you start winding it, it's slowly winding down. So life is marked by suffering, and hardship and persecution are a guaranteed part of the Christian life. You realize Jesus promised that? If they persecuted me, they're going to come after you too, okay? So the point here is it's unpopular today and it's surprising today, but the Bible is crystal clear. Your life will be hard and suffering is real. So you shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Uh, So real, just as an aside, because I was stunned by this. When you become a parent, uh, or if you, you were up here earlier, you probably know this. I just want to be real clear. You're probably going to be tired for the next 20 years, right? Like, that's the deal. Uh, I was talking to an older parent, uh, like a parent with older kids, you know, that like can go to the bathroom on their own and dress themselves and stuff like that. And I was like, I can remember saying to him, I was like, man, I don't know if I'll ever sleep again. He's like, well, you don't sleep now because your kids scream and fuss and need you, right? You got to hold them or you got to give them a bottle. It's like, but then this thing, this magical, wonderful experience called puberty happens. And you don't sleep when they're teenagers because now they have cars and they've got friends and they've got other, you know, like things and desires and, and you stay up night anxious and worrying. So if, 
The day you become a parent, just expect you're, you're going to be tired most of the time for about 20 years. That, that doesn't make it easy, or you're like, oh, this is great, but we just shouldn't be surprised by it. So first reality, suffering is real. Life, especially parenting, is hard. And so just let, let's all agree together in our spirits that we won't be surprised when life is hard, Okay. It doesn't mean that we've done something wrong necessarily. It doesn't mean we need to like throw ourselves a party celebrating how hard life is, but we should come in soberly. Life will be difficult. Principle number two. So suffering is real, but then suffering is temporary. This is how Paul goes on. He says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, if you're suffering, this is bothersome to read, Right? Um, if Mother's Day is a hard day for you, and Paul's like, hey, don't worry. It's small, and it won't last very long. You're like, it doesn't feel small. It doesn't, it doesn't last very long. I feel like I'm drowning day in and day out. Well, this isn't like pie-in-the-sky, happy-clappy Christianity from Paul. You know, like, you have happy-clappy Christianity is the one that's like, how's your day? It's my best day ever. Praise the Lord. Tomorrow's going to be even better. Everything's fine. Bless the Lord. I love God. Everything's great. You know, like where you just got to put this smile on. Like these words are coming from a dude that was shipwrecked a couple times. Anybody ever here been bitten by a snake in the name of Jesus before? Right? Like Paul was bitten by snakes. He was thrown in prison. He had falling outs with his friends. Like this dude had a really hard life. But what he's doing is he's weighing all of his experiences in light of eternity. And so let's say that you have the next 30 years of your life are brutally difficult, right? I mean, brutally difficult. That's a long time and that's very difficult. But if you weigh 30 years in light of 800 trillion years, that 30 year blip is, isn't so long. You see what I'm saying? Someone say amen, right? Like it's not that long. And so we we, he's reminding us, yes, suffering is real, but in the scope of your eternal soul, it's a blip. That doesn't make it less painful, but it gives us really healthy perspective. It's hard being up all night with an infant, but I can't tell you how many parents have said to me, I wish I could go back to be able to just hold my little girl when they were one again, and they just needed me so bad. The hardest part about a 15-year-old is I feel how much he doesn't need me anymore. Are you like those kinds of transitions that happen. Yeah, your circumstances are hard, but there's also some, some sweet, precious moments in there. Those hard years, one through three, where the screaming and the diapers and they're not sleeping, yes, they're hard, but they, they're short in the scope of your life, let alone in the scope of eternity. So again, this doesn't make it easy or enjoyable always, but it is an invitation into perspective and endurance. Suffering is real, but you're an eternal creature. You realize that? You have an eternal soul. And on the last day when Christ raises us, he's giving us an imperishable body. And you'll get to spend the next 600 trillion, thousand billion years or whatever, however long this is gonna, however long eternity is. And, and you'll see that that was what it was. And it was very short in the scope of my whole life. The final reality, and this is absolutely unique to Christianity. This is where the whole system has fallen apart for everybody else uh, who's rejected any notion of, of truth. So suffering is real, suffering is temporary, and then the pain has purpose. Here's what Paul says. He says, yet they, that's the sufferings he's talked about, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. He, he's, he's saying that the Christian above all can endure pain and suffering because we know it has a purpose. We, we won't always know why, 
this is happening or, you know, like what God's up to, but, but we can trust that in the midst of this, God uses pain and trial um, to perfect our faith, uh, to transform us. And, and so here's what I mean. That's like a huge kind of heady theological concept. God's at work in our pain. He's at work in our trials and suffering to change us deeply. And, and here's what this looks like. Uh, the peace of Christ doesn't mean much to you until you're in a place where you need it to be true. Like the, the peace of Christ doesn't mean a lot to you until you're so overwhelmed with anxiety that you need this to be true. I was talking to a guy last night and we're, you know, we were talking about a pretty brutal two years in both of our lives. And he said, you know, one reason I'm so grateful for all of this is because it's taught me to pray. But before this, I prayed because I was a Christian right? Like, and you're supposed to pray if you're a Christian. Heads up, read your Bible and pray, the application every week. He's like, I, I prayed because I was a Christian. He's like, now I pray because if I don't pray, I'll die. Like, if I don't pray, if I don't hear the voice of God, if I don't experience him, I won't make it. We won't often understand the why of what's happening, but we know something more personal. Pain and trial are the places where the promises of God become real for us, and transform us. That's like, here's one of the hardest lessons I've learned as a pastor. The only way to trust God is to trust God, right? The only way to learn how to trust God is to trust God. And what's that mean? It means like, I don't know, you, you, maybe when I said there's 200 kids over there at Sojourn Kids, you're like, oh gosh, I kind of feel like maybe I should start serving at Sojourn Kids, right? Um, which there's no lifetime sentence there, okay? You can just give it like, do twice a month for three months or something like that. Uh, it, and you're like, I don't, know if I, should, I don't know if I should do it or not. You have all these promises of what, how God will bless you as you serve. He'll refresh you as you go. There's something when you step out in faith. And you're like, I don't know if I should trust him or not. The only way to learn how to trust God in that moment is to do what he says. You know, like, the only way to learn how to trust God is to learn how to trust God. The, the only way for the... Anybody have that kind of tension where you know the promises of God, but you don't live the promises of God? Anybody? Anybody? One person. I'm th thank you for your honesty. Appreciate that, right? Like, listen, we talk about all the, all, all the time. Uh, let's not have a theology debate here. Just say amen if you think God's in control. Amen, amen right? God's in control. Like, it's one of the, the simplest teachings of the whole scriptures. And yet, how many of us walk around just riddled with anxiety and guilt? Like, how many of you have, have to take something to go to sleep and drink something to wake up? right? You know, like, you take these little pills, I'll sleep at night, and then I'm just no good without my coffee. I hate all those dumb coffee mugs. I'm sorry if you have one of these, but that, those dumb coffee mugs are like, don't talk to me until I have my coffee. I'm like, you got a problem, man. You got a real problem. So we live in this world where it's like we say all these great things, and then we walk out of church, and our lives are a total wreck because we haven't experienced it. It hasn't transformed us in, in the core, the deep places of who we are. So you the peace of Christ isn't real for us until you're in a place where you need it to be true. And the promises of God become real to us, uh, not always, but nearly always in the midst of pain and trials. My therapist said to me once, he said, I've seen two things change people. One is prayer and the other is pain. And most of us don't like praying, right? And so it, this totally revolutionizes the Christian perspective of pain. God is present in it. How many of us jump immediately? We're surprised by our pain. We think it will last forever. And our immediate reaction is to shake our fist at the sky. How could you do this to me, God? Why would you do this? Didn't I do all, all of this stuff right? The Christian, though, we can say, 
there's something that God is up to in this pain. There's something he's up to in this suffering. It's not without meaning. It's not without purpose. And I know God will use this for my good. So we can face our pain. We can can put it in perspective. We can remain open to God's power. Our troubles produce in us deep godly character and provide us with tangible experiences of God. The, The Christian above all has the power, the strength to face how hard life really is. And not in the pie in the sky, we'll just get through it. But to see, no, no, God is actually present here. And he's up to something in me here. We can face the reality of hardship because we know they don't last long. And God uses those times to strengthen our faith, transform us, and fill us with hope. Like these are earth-shaking realities. The strength you'll find if you're willing to just look out in the world and say, this is going to be hard. It won't last forever. And there's purpose in this. We will be a people totally set apart, totally different than the rest of the world. But how, much of our, how much of our culture is based on pain management, pain avoidance, suffering management? So what does this mean for parents? Those are our three biblical realities. Now, for you parents, let's put it home to you a little bit. The first principle, you as parents, put your hope in God. Here's what I mean. Proverbs chapter 1 says the beginning of wisdom is what? Somebody say it. The fear of the Lord. Uh, In other words, you won't grow to maturity or wisdom as a human being without trusting and loving God. Uh, A healthy amount of respect and awe and reverence and love. Uh, This is true for everyone on a personal level, but it is, I don't even know if this makes sense, it's doubly true for parents. So if you got a four or under, especially if you're like brand new, you got a, you can, you're still counting weeks. I, I don't know if I've ever said this in a sermon before, but I'm about to drop a bomb on you guys, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you with something from the Lord. I paid thousands of dollars to learn this and lots of sleepless nights, okay? Get, get ready. Parenting drum. Parenting drum? Parenting bomb. Here it is. You are your parenting strategy. Here's what I mean. I'm not saying like your identity is a parent, right? Like get out of the idol hunt for a second. Like I'm not saying the truest thing about you is that you are a parent. What I'm saying is, here's the principle. Monkey see, monkey do. You know that? You got my three-year-old watches my four-year-old jump off a bed and now the three-year-old is going to jump off the bed. Uh, in our circles where we take theology real seriously, and I thank God for that, like I remember feeling such guilt because I couldn't figure out how to do family devotionals with my one-year-old. And I'm sitting down with like the, the kid's study Bible, and he's like, why won't he memorize the verse? And he won't sit still. We're trying to sing Amazing Grace. He's hitting my guitar. Like, anybody done that? And you're just like, we're doing this wrong. And then you see some fabulous family, or, and you people posting pictures on Facebook of your, like, perfectly ordered family with your study Bible up and your two-year-old, like, praying, like, we all know that's not true, right? <laughs> Nobody's life works that way. So here's what I mean. When I say you are your parenting, this is what I'm saying. More than any sermon, any devotional, any youth group leader, or any family worship time, your life shapes your children. Amen. Your children will become you. Do you know, children are born with special cells in their brain where all they do, all as far as we can tell, which the brain is a pretty huge mystery to most of us, uh, 
all these cells do is absorb the emotions of the parent and reflect their facial expressions back to them. They're, they're called mirror neurons. It's unbelievable what they do. So that's why when you look at a baby and you go, hello, hello, what do they do? Right? Have you ever, go try this. Here's a science experiment you, you can do at home. Look at your child and be like, you've ruined my life. I never sleep because of you. Or say something awful to the kid, but say it smiley and happy with your eyes light up and they'll just, uh, right? Because their brain exists right now. They, it's, it's almost like they have another trimester outside of the womb, right? They're, they're absorbing who you are and they're learning how to be a human being by watching you. In other words, your child is hardwired to become you physiologically, you, like you can't fight it. And so everyone out there who's like, you know, I'm not gonna be like my dad. To that I say, you probably are, right? Like you probably are, unless you've done real work and, and you, you've allowed God to come and transform the deep places in you, the stuff that you wanna hide. The, the human soul is permeable. It's meant to reflect and mimic the people around us. And it, it, it carries on into adulthood. If you're gonna go to Mother's Day brunch after this, here's another science experiment you can run. You just can't do it if you're going to brunch with everyone in here because they'll know you're screwing with them. <laughs> Sit at the table and at some point casually just cross your arms. And within a minute, somebody close to you will be crossing their arms. Uh, what happens when you're at dinner and you're not even a little bit tired and you yawn? All of a sudden, why are yawns contagious? I don't know, because we're meant to mimic and reflect one another. So listen, here's the bomb. If you want your child to know something or be something, you have to know and be that first, period. Like when the scriptures tell us, raise your kids in the fear of the Lord, it's assuming you already do. When the scriptures say, one generation will tell the next of the wonderful deeds of the Lord, it's assuming that you already know them and embody them. If you want your daughter to be a good woman, especially in these early years, the most important thing you could do is to be a good woman. If, if you want your son to be a good man, be a good man. So mom, mom and dad, I am begging you, do your work. Do your work. No one else can take care of your own soul but you. No one else can take care of your relationship with the Lord but you, right now, what's the issue you're avoiding? What's the thing you're hiding? What's that point of tension in your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with the Lord? What's the thing that you keep doing that you're avoiding or you're hiding? And listen to me, like, I have seen this play out so many times. And I've, only, I've been in ministry for like 10 years and I don't know how many times I've seen this play out. If you do not do your work, the people you love will bear the consequences. And if you're a parent, if, if you don't do your work, your child will reap the consequences. What isn't transformed is transferred to the people you love. And no matter what you say or the strategy that you come up with, your children will become you, for better or for worse. So parents, put your hope in God. Do your work. Second application. Prepare your children for real life. 
for real life. Listen, I wish Jesus would come back, right? Like, kind of, there's lots of days where I'm like, hello, 2,000 years? Really? You know, like, because there's a place promised to us where there's no suffering, there's no injustice. Somehow we'll figure out this whole mess of being a multi-ethnic, multilingual group of people, all worshiping God in different languages. We'll walk, anybody stress out about money this morning? Any man, anybody? One person, one person, two people. Okay, thank you. Do you know in heaven, we walk on gold. <laughs> you know what I would do for a bar of gold right now? I would do a lot for a bar of gold. And that's a lot, that's real money. I don't know, 50, 60 grand if you get a bar of gold. Uh, it's probably more than that, I don't know. One of you financial guys can figure it out. Uh, but we're gonna walk on that in heaven. Like, I wanna be there. I wanna go there, but we're not there. And, and, and so how this plays out with parenting is, is many well-intentioned parents, especially parents who've had a difficult life, many well-intentioned parents are motivated by one simple goal. I wanna give my kid a good life. This almost always means the parent tries to do all they can to keep them from pain. Y'all know that feeling? Like, I remember the first time my kid got picked on at daycare at the YMCA. I was ready to burn that place down. You know what I mean? Like, there are, there are very, very few guarantees in parenting, as far as I can tell. Meaning, do this, and they will be this way. Read a psalm with them every day, and they will go into vocational ministry, or whatever. Like, there are very few guarantees. Here's one that I feel almost certain about, though. If you try to insulate your child from all pain and suffering, they will be miserable adults, totally unprepared for life. If, if the goal of your parenting is to minimize all pain, keep your child from all suffering, you so handicap them for the rest of their lives. So parents, I'm, I'm begging you, don't try to keep your child from every ounce of pain. And don't let the goal of your parenting be to keep your child in an easy, comfortable life. Because here's what will happen. They will leave your home and realize you lied to them. They will be shocked at how hard life is. They will be shocked that they didn't get the job. They will be shocked when the mortgages do or when all of a sudden the car breaks down and dad's not there to go take it to the shop. You know what I'm saying? Like, real life is difficult. So don't let the goal of your parenting be to create an easy, comfortable life for your children, but equip them with the tools to live life as it is, which means prepare them to live a life that's frequently marked by suffering. Practically, here's what I mean. First, show up for them. The, the next time you hear that voice in your head, say, well, I'm going for quality time, even though we don't have quantity time. You know, you ever heard that before? It's about the quality time. Uh, the, the next time you think it's possible to get to quality time without quantity time, I want you to rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus, right? It's not possible. There is no such thing as quality time without quantity time. So parents, you must be present physically, and it's absolutely crucial in these first three years, okay, that you are there physically. Uh, if you have infants or toddlers, you, I mean this with my whole heart, you cannot kiss and hug them enough. Right on the lips, man, like whatever you want to do, like 
You cannot give them enough physical attention. You can't wrestle with them enough. You can't tickle them enough. Uh, Recent studies have come out, sociological studies, especially in light of all these school shootings and the rise of bullying. And the number one predictor, as far as our best sociologists can tell, the number one predictor we have of whether or not a child will become a bully or a violent criminal is how much affection they received in the home, especially from you dads. So there's almost a guaranteed correlation between the dad who's like, I'm gonna make my kid tough. We don't hug, we don't kiss, I don't say nice things to him. That kid will grow up and do awful things to people. More likely than not. Do you want a stable, kind, generous kid who's a good friend? Then love them. Show up for them physically. Like you cannot hear me. You cannot show them enough affection, especially in those first few years. But you you also have to learn to show up emotionally. So here's a tough one. Make your home a place where every emotion is allowed. Like the full range of human emotions must be present in your home. Now, you'll likely have to say like, Johnny, I understand that you're angry and it's okay that you're angry. It's not okay that to, in your anger to throw a plate at the TV or, right? Like it doesn't mean whatever they wanna do with their anger is okay, but you have to give them permission to be angry, sad, happy, excited. From there, you teach them how to respond to their emotions appropriately. So listen, if you don't teach them that their emotions are allowed, if you suppress creativity, if you suppress sadness or happiness or frustration, whatever that is, if there's a rule in your family that this isn't allowed, it will blow up later in life. I, I just guarantee it. You know who's, whose idea are emotions? Somebody say its name. God. You know, who's the most emotional person in the Bible? God, Jesus, which are, they're the same, right? Pick your name. Like, and we're made in his image. And so if we suppress a part of our humanity, it will explode later in life. So listen, by showing up for them emotionally, you're equipping your child with the tools to deal with the craziness life will throw at them. They will get sad. They will get angry. They will be happy. They will get confused. And you get to show them how to deal with that and to be honest about that. So show up for them, okay? When we're talking about preparing your kids for real life, show up for them physically and emotionally. Second, say yes more than you say no. Say yes more than you say no. Uh, You have to allow your children to experience pain and to explore the unknown. So when you say yes, you're telling your child, I believe in you and you can do it. Think of... I was swimming with my, my daughter on vacation and she's three and she's like really excited but scared about jumping off the pool. You know what I mean? And she's saying, come closer, daddy. I'm like, I'm not gonna come closer because I know you can do it. She's like, I can't do it. You can do it. I can't do it. You can do it. And then she does it. And it's just like, she's climbed Mount Everest, right? Like you are, they are borrowing confidence from you. You know how crazy and mysterious the world is? For a two-year-old, they're in a, they're in a land of giants, They have no idea what's going on, literally. No idea what's going on. They borrow your confidence in them to do what they think is impossible. And when you've got a two-year-old or a three-year-old, that will look like they play in the other room without holding on to mama's leg or something. You know, it starts small like that. And there's a real line between risky and reckless, you know? So I would say you should probably say yes to your kid jumping off the couch more often than you probably do. I don't think you should say yes to your kid jumping off the roof, right? Like, I don't know where the line is there, but if, if you're not committed to a pain-free life for your child, then you'll encourage them to do more than what they think they can do, understanding that 
there's a very delicate balance there. Over the course of time, this is preparing your child for the life of faith in a hard world. You're teaching them to face difficulty, to understand their emotions and respond in healthy ways, to head into the unknown with confidence and trust. Listen, the life of faith is impossible if we do not believe we are loved and we will be taken care of. And how does God teach human beings to believe that? He enters all of us into a very spiritual, holy school called your family. If you fill your child's life, here's, when you say no, 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 constant no's, don't do this, stop that, no, don't, stop, no. You fill your child with such a deep sense of anxiety and fear. Ultimately, what you're doing by saying yes and showing up for them is making the God of the Bible believable. So here's, here's my last point. This went longer than I thought. Sorry, guests. It's usually this long. Um, so here's the best way I can simplify this for you. And here's the principle to go, go learn what this means, parents. Uh, by showing up for them, saying yes for them, you're making the God of the Bible believable. So there's, a, there's one last, often painfully learned with great sorrow, uh, lesson that I've seen as a pastor. The way your child views you is the way they will view God. So take a second and think back in your life to who had, which one of your parents had the dominant personality in your family? Like which, which one, mom or dad? It's like that's kind of, as mom went, so the house went. You know what I'm saying? Like who was it? Now, now think about how did they make you feel? And it, I'm not asking you to be rational now because you're all mature adults, right? Like, I'm not asking you to be rational. I'm saying when you were that kid, how did you feel around mom and dad? What did you think they thought of you? You hold that over there. Maybe you go think about this later. Now compare that to how you think God thinks of you. Like, I have, I have never met someone where for at least a long period of life, those weren't the same, right? So if you live in a home where you're like, dad's always disappointed in me, I know he loves me, but like, he's really disappointed and wish he could do better. They have almost the same feelings when it comes to how God must see them. You know, mom was never there for me. She abandoned me. She wasn't around for me. And now I just can't believe in a God who shows up for me or who's there for me. Similarly, if mom and dad believed in you and loved you, you likely don't struggle with this notion that you have a father in heaven who believes in you and who loves you and who cares for you. So as you parent your child, ask yourself, is this making the God of the Bible more or less believable for my child? And the simplest technique I know to create a home where this is a reality, uh, or, or maybe the simplest principle to step into in light of that is to to build a home, to build a family um, where the gospel is constantly rehearsed. Not just confessed or sang, but it's embodied. And so here, think of it this way. God is stunningly patient with you. Amen? Because you all did dumb this week, right? And it was the same dumb you did last week. You've been doing that dumb thing for 10 or 15 years, right? And God is still wooing you. He's holding you. He's walking slowly. He's stunningly patient with you. So how do you make that believable for your kid? Be patient with your kid. Three-year-olds are morons, right? Like they'll, they will, I promise you, they will eat something they're not supposed to eat. 
They'll go to the bathroom places. They, you don't want them to go to the bathroom. They, they will do things that are irrational because their brains barely work, right? That's what three-year-olds do. Be patient with them so that when they get older in life and hear this word that God is patient and kind, they'll be like, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, God listens to your emotional, irrational outbursts. How do I know this? The book of Psalms, right? You find things in the Psalms like, God, crush, kick out the teeth of my enemies in their mouth, right? Like, take the heads of their children and crush them on the rocks. And you're like, geez, that's in the Bible? You know, it's like, yeah, because God can handle your irrational, emotional outbursts. Your kids have no idea what to do all of this. Hold it. You can handle it. You're, you're more mature. You're more equipped. And then God, as he listens to you being crazy, he gently points you to what's good, true, and beautiful. You get to do that as a parent. God's merciful with you. He corrects you in love. God, in Christ, laid down his life for you so you could be whole and healthy. If you have no category for sacrifice, parenting will be very, very difficult for you. God took responsibility for your situation, particularly when you were helpless. God had a vision for you that was beyond what you could believe. And he showered you with, like, you see what I'm saying? Is the gospel true in your home? Do you preach, God, do you preach grace to your children and have nothing but criticisms for your child? Love your child, I'm begging you, love your child in such a way that the gospel does not sound like a foreign language to them. Love your child in such a way that they're not surprised when life is hard, but they're also not surprised that they can endure it because they know they have an eternal home. Love your child in such a way that they're filled with hope, trusting God to lead them and transform them. So here's the rhythm that shapes our homes and our parenting. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is what makes you safe with God. This is what seals your co my covenant with you to God, your relationship with God. It's not your parenting. It's not, it's just not anything but the blood of Jesus, amen? This is what makes you safe with God. Uh, which if this is true, this means you can do really crazy stuff as a parent, like ask your three-year-old for forgiveness, you know? Some of y'all got mouthy with your three-year-old this week. You said awful stuff to her, right? If the gospel's true in your home, you go and ask for forgiveness, mom and dad. Make the gospel true for them so that when your child sees the bread and wine, they'll understand what this means. They'll know what sacrificial love looks like. They'll know what a promise keeper looks like. They'll know what someone who shows up looks like. Uh, so we remember this. Uh, our tradition is to come forward, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice, the wine has a piece of twine wrapped around it. There'll be stations up front and in the back and gluten-free elements to my left, your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you can come celebrate together uh, when I'm done. Let's pray.